Well, we are uh, currently walking through a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and um, as we do, we are discovering this kingdom ethic within its content. Uh, We are discovering how followers of Jesus are to act and react to live and breathe within this world. Uh, We started with a look at the Beatitudes uh, foundation blocks. We've left those foundation blocks all over the stage, uh, well, I'm sorry, all over the the mount here, and... um, uh, just as a reminder, right, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness, pure in heart, uh, each one of these are foundational. Everything else that Jesus speaks about over the rest of this sermon lands upon these blocks. And as we uh, began to look a little bit further in, we, we saw these six antitheses that he began to unpack for us. He's, he spoke on murder and anger, adultery, <coughs> excuse me, and lust. Um, divorce and marriage, uh, oaths and dishonesty, retaliation, loving your enemy. And throughout our time in that portion of the sermon, we were reminded again and again that as a Christ follower, our connection to and our obedience to our Heavenly Father is going to make an impact in this world. It just will. Um, it, it, it will. It can't help but do that because His ways are so opposite to really the system that our world runs on. It's the values of our world and how it reacts and responds that look so different to this love letter and what he speaks in it to us today. And even though Christ is certainly uh, in bodily form away from this home right now, we were reminded even last week that he invites each one of us to just pull up that blanket and Allow that blanket to fall upon those who desperately need the warmth and the hope of a savior, of a king, of one who loves and cares and offers salvation and reconciliation. And then we put closure on chapter 5. We enter into chapter 6 and tonight we're just going to be in nine verses of 6. We're not going to take the first few verses. Actually, next week will be a time when we'll come back and catch those. So we're out of order a bit, but in this moment, we're going to look at a key component that Christ hits on within this sermon. And it's so key because it helps us understand how this life really is fueled. It helps us understand a necessary ingredient to really living out the character that's on these boxes here to live out this lifestyle that is so diametrically opposed to the rest of the world. And as we uncover this, we uh, might, in some respects, approach it with fear and trepidation. Because I'm not sure about you, but I've still got a lot to learn when it comes to prayer. Worried or concerned about how we're portrayed if we're next to somebody else and we're praying. Maybe even if we're going to get the words right whenever we talk to God, that there's some specific key that opens it all up. There's something that's going to be spoken in a wrong way, and then all of a sudden, oh man, the blessing doesn't come, or the the answer doesn't show up, or God doesn't move because I just don't know even how to do this. How do I connect with someone I can't see, and what does that really mean, and So several years ago, I was a student ministries pastor in Southeast Houston, and I was invited to do and be a a part of something that I had never experienced before in my life. 
uh, a family came up to me and asked me if I would, uh, and, 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 and forgive me if I've, if I've shared this story with you, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't remember, I don't think that I have, uh, but uh, they, they asked me to be a part of their daughter's quinceanera. I'm not sure if you're familiar what a quinceanera is, but it's uh, in, in, in the uh, Hispanic culture, uh, it's, it's actually a celebration of kind of childhood into womanhood, it's the 15th birthday uh, for the daughter, and it's a big deal. I mean, they will typically spend in those in that culture potentially more money even than the wedding uh, that will occur at some point later in that girl's future if she gets married. Uh, they spend just an enormous amount of money, and uh, and so our church was uh, was was ministering in an area that had a, a fairly significant Hispanic uh, culture within it and around it. And uh, so they had come to us and said, hey, would you mind doing this? This is our church. This is who we are. Would you do? Well, typically it's done in a, in a Catholic church, right? And so with a priest. And so I said, well, if you want to do this, okay. Um, I did a little research. And then I said, can we kind of put our own spin on this? And he said, the father said, yes, that's fine. And so we had a worship band as a part of it. And we kind of turned the whole thing into kind of almost a, a purity uh, 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 a celebration, a celebration of purity, right? And, and they still had all of the moments that were intrinsically uh, quinceanera, but we also turned it into this really sweet worship experience and, and, and just brought all of those pieces together. And they told me before it started, at the very end, we want you uh, to lead the whole congregation in what is traditionally the end of the quinceanera, which is the singing of the Lord's Prayer, and I said, you know, that's fine. I can do that. That's not a problem. Uh, they said, here's what's going to happen. Just, just invite them all to stand up. And uh, really, all you have to do is just, you know, s- kick off with the, first, with the first couple of words. And then everybody, you know, in our culture understands, they'll just join in. And that's what that'll be. And I'm like, that's fantastic. And so we went through that whole beautiful ceremony. And I'm standing there in front of, of a large grouping of people. And I said, now at this time, we're going to conclude the quinceanera with what is traditionally uh, experience and it's the singing of the Lord's Prayer as we all join in and sing it together. And I started off, Our Father who art in heaven, and nobody sang. Hallowed be thy name. Nobody sang. I sang that whole song by myself on a microphone in front of everybody. And when it got toward the very end, and I'm getting, I'm, I'm going now, and the whole time I'm just praying, Help me, God, remember these words. And I don't know if there was just a little dose of humility that God wanted me to experience or what, but in the very end, whenever it moves into that portion, and that is the kingdom, and I sing, and the glory, and then I think, wait, that was the last one. What's the middle one? I can't remember it. My brain is like going super fast. And so I'm just like, and the glory. I just sang it twice because I couldn't think of power. Forever, Amen. And they're all clapping like that was fantastic. And I'm all, and I'm thinking they couldn't pay me enough. How in the world did I let myself get, get this experience, right? And I was thinking about that moment as I was looking at this passage, not just because we're looking at that passage, but because I, I think that what I felt in that moment is, again, often what we feel when it comes to prayer. Because in that moment... I was not really that focused on God. I know I should have been singing that to him, but I was really thinking, why in the world aren't any of these people singing? 
My focus was not there. It was uncomfortable. I wasn't sure what to do. I didn't fully understand the purpose. I mean, I understood the humiliation, but I didn't understand a whole lot else. I felt like everybody was watching me, judging me. And I think prayer can feel like that sometimes. How do I do this? Am I doing this right? What's the point? My focus seems to be everywhere except where it should be. Prayer, what is it? Why do we do it? I love this quote from Oswald Chambers. It's a little lengthy, but I think we put it up on the board to help you follow along. He writes this, Prayer is not a normal part of the life of the natural man. We hear it said that a person's life will suffer if he doesn't pray, but I question that. What will suffer is the life of the Son of God in him, which is nourished not by food, but by prayer. When a person is born again from above, the life of the Son of God is born in him, and he can either starve or nourish that life. Prayer is the way that the life of God in us is nourished. Our common ideas regarding prayer are not found in the New Testament. Okay, did you catch that? Our common ideas regarding prayer are not found in the New Testament. Not, not what is common to us. We look upon prayer simply as a means of getting things for ourselves. But the biblical purpose of prayer is that we may get to know God himself. So what is prayer? Prayer is connecting with, right? It's, it's, it's communicating with God. Maybe eyes closed, maybe eyes wide open. Did you know you could talk to God with your eyes wide open? I was in a staff meeting, um, I remember several years ago. It was one of the most uncomfortable staff meetings I'd ever been in because the worship pastor just challenged us all to just spend our entire prayer time with our eyes wide open. And I remember us praying and looking at each other and thinking, this is the most bizarre thing ever. Because I had just grown up with, you know, okay, I'm going to talk to God, eyes closed. They could be open or closed. Might be out loud, might be silent, might be with other people, might be when others, when you're all alone and no one else is around. Regardless of when or how we pray or who we are praying with or what the words are that we use, it's all about the relationship because God created us to be in relationship with him. So it got me thinking, well, why, why don't we pray? I think, first off, we have an enemy. And quite honestly, we have an enemy. If you put that on the screen, it says we have an enemy who uh, intercepts, perverts, deceives, confuses, and places doubt. He has no desire whatsoever for our communication link with the Father to be very strong. If and when that happens, he knows that we are empowered to do things that the enemy does not want done. He knows that God's pil- God uses us in supernatural ways to build his kingdom. He knows that the life, that our life and the lives of others gets transformed. He knows that supernatural things occur. He has no desire for us to be close to God. But I think that there's also a component there that just flat out has to do with us. And I put this up here. I said, I think it's because we are lazy preoccupied, undisciplined, unbelieving, unorganized, unburdened, unloving, prideful, uncomfortable, fearful, and ignorant. And in the words 
of Ron. Aren't you glad you came? <laughs> um, and if that seems like too much, um, my thought is if we stared at that list long enough, we would find one of them that characterizes us. Because I can look at that list and find me there this week. I think part of the problem, too, is that we complicate prayer in our minds so very much. Did, did you know that 84% of the words spoken by Jesus to his Father in the New Testament were one-syllable words? One syllable. Um, not real complicated lingo there. Not majorly flowery theological speech, right? From the heart. This is where I am. This is what I'm thinking. This is what's going on with me. Why should we talk to God? Direction, insight, perspective, power, encouragement, confidence, strength. A change of attitude, a change of direction. Increased faith, a sensitivity to God's plans for us. A redirecting in a way that acknowledges God is at the center of our attention. And simply just because of the relationship. The relationship that we have to a God who we can see not only as our Savior and Heavenly Father, but also as our King and also as our friend. So now stare at that paragraph for a moment. Do we need any of those things there? I think we do. I think I do. I think if I'm honest, I know I can't get where he wants me to go without prayer. And so a show of hands, just quickly, and I'm not going to ask you how much you've prayed this week, but I would like a show of hands how many of you believe that you have gained all the insight at this point that you need for the rest of your life. You know all the rest of your plans. You're good to go with everything until you see him face to face. Are we, anybody? No. And so, God knew that, right? He did. He knew that, and that's one of the reasons why this verse exists. It's Jeremiah 33.3. He says, call to me, and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. F.J. Hugel in Prayer, Our Highest Privilege, writes these words. Prayer is not only our highest privilege and our most cherished joy, but it is our most effective weapon whereby we may achieve. All else leaves us floundering in the muck and the chaos of self-effort, which has never been anything but a blind alley. All else leaves us as a frail bark on life's stormy seas without a helm, without a compass, without a pilot. If we build without direction from the Most High, who orders all according to an eternal plan, our labors, however brilliant, must finally come to naught. And so in this greatest sermon ever told, Jesus has been unveiling this plan that he has for each one of his followers. And as we get into this chapter, he reminds his followers how that plan is discovered and lived out. In this chapter, he speaks to what is commonly referred to 
as the Lord's Prayer. Now, theologians will tell us that's an incorrect way to speak about this prayer. It's not really his prayer. He spoke some prayers. He certainly did. This is known by theologians as the disciples' prayer because it was a prayer that he wants us to be able to know and live and walk in. Matthew 6, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Um, It's important at this point to get a little bit of context Was Jesus saying that the only time that we are actually to address God is when nobody else is around? That seems to be what he's saying. But we know that that's certainly not the way Jesus even lived his recorded life, right? There were certainly multiple times when he spoke to the Father in the presence of others. But Pharisees were used to practicing this art of prayer, by standing in a wide street. As a matter of fact, they would look for the street with the most congestion. And they would stand there at one of those hours of prayer during the day, and they would speak to God. Where lots of people were walking by, so that the maximum amount of people would see them praying. It was a show. Jesus was focusing his believers into a direction that he's been in for the last chapter, all of chapter 5, that really it's about the heart. That's where his focus lands. He's using the context here to say, listen, that what, you, what your religious teachers have been teaching you by example, that's not where you need to be. You see, also, in the first century, the Greeks and the Romans, um, they had this pantheon of gods, lots and lots and lots and lots of gods that they would pray to. And there was one problem with that. None of their gods were perfect. And as a matter of fact, they weren't even sure exactly where those gods were or if they were there in the moment because their theology didn't really include this omnipresent component that we know about our God. And so they've just... They, they, would, they, would, they would typically speak in these long prayers to these gods and they would just start to roll out all of these different types of gods. And they would pray to all of these names of all of these gods over and over and over again, hoping that at least one of them was around to hear. And not only would they do that, they would then start to speak about all of their list of accomplishments and go on and on and on and on with lots and lots of words. Because what their hope is, is that the one God that they might have potentially gotten the attention of would hear what it was that they were saying about themselves and become so impressed that magically something would occur in that moment. And in all of that desperation, certainly what we, would, what we would begin to assume is that we do certainly have an enemy, right, who would do things supernaturally that would spur them on in that and belief that something was happening. But the reality was it was all just little G-gods they were praying to. And it was all just empty 
meaningless, repetition, long-winded, flowery speeches, empty phrases. And Jesus looks at these Pharisees and he recognizes that they've adopted much of the culture into their own prayers. Not only had they made prayer all about them in the middle of the busiest street in town in important hours, but their words were also not sincere. And they were not simple. They were just filling the air. Now, Jesus' mandate here was not that the only way that you could pray was to be in a closet with six words or less. (laughs) But this was a check-your-heart-at-the-door moment. That you don't have to be like them. That all you have to do is just be you. That it's not a show. That you can pray alone or you can pray with others. That you can pray in private or you can pray in public. Jesus continues. Pray then like this. Our Father, and no, I'm not going to start singing again. In heaven, hallowed be your name. He speaks comfort and reverence in this moment. In other words, I believe that what he does is he combines a couple of ways in which we are to see God This speaks to our need to be comfortable and yet reverent before God. Father, pater in the Greek, derived from the word Abba in Aramaic. We see it as daddy. It is personal. It is comfortable. It is, uh, you know, when, when I think about our kids, any time when one of our kids has moved beyond the daddy or the mommy phase and tried their hand at dad or mom, it almost is like a dagger in us. And, and, and you know, I, I know at some point that will probably just move in that direction, but when that happens, why does it feel that way to me? Because, I, and, and I know to Holly, because I think at some point we just hear daddy and mommy and it feels Warm and rich and personal and wrap your arms around that baby. Right? Personal. Accessible. It wasn't by accident that he used that word. But then he also uses, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, set apart, sanctified. This literally says, make your name holy. Now, that's kind of an odd thought, isn't it? It's like, well, wait a minute. I thought by nature God is holy. How does he make his name holy? I mean, if he is, there's no making to it. He either is or he isn't. Yes, but best translated, here's where we are in this portion. It's all about his name being carried around in our bodies. You see, his name, God, make your name holy through the representation that I am of you in this world. Purify me, God, as I look at your holiness, at your name, all that it carries, all that your character, all that your reputation carries. All that your name stands for, how I treat you, how I honor you with my life. Am I advertising your holiness? Does my reverence for you impact me? 
I think in this culture, as Christians, we don't do just an exceptional job of allowing his reverence to impact us. I, I, I think if we did, honestly, we would probably laugh less at some of the things we laugh at. And I think we would probably grieve more over some of the sins that we've normalized in our culture. But that's a sermon for a whole other day, right? Comfort and reverence. Psalm 113, praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations in his glory above the heavens. Who is like our Lord, our God, who is seated on high? Is that our view of God and his majesty and his holiness? And do I carry that around in me? And he goes on. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This speaks to our need to obey and submit. Not my agenda, God. It's yours. You see, there's a kingdom already in heaven that has no tears. It has no sin. It has no death. It has no pain, and we aren't citizens of that kingdom yet. We're in this moment where there is sin and death. And it's still a part of the equation, but God is at work here making all things new for his glory. And our job every day is to say, my ears, my eyes, my hands are open to you, God. Lead me to how you want to be a servant of yours that shows you off. I will obey. But it has to be not my will but yours. It has to be submission. And I believe that whole will thing gets easier and easier as our heart beats more and more in step with his. I think we get to know his will because we start to more and more desire his will. Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. This speaks to our need, our dependence on him and the reality that he cares about even the simplest of our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. God, I'm speaking to you about today, about tomorrow. Here's what I need, God. Am I informing God? Is he not omniscient? Does he not already know it all? Yes, he does. But it's about my heart And it's about me showing my dependence on him. I need you, God. In that crowd, on that mountainside, in that moment, I can can almost say guaranteed there weren't any doomsday preppers in the crowd. I don't think so. Right. And and so because you know what? They, They pretty much were living day to day. They they didn't have a Sam's or a Costco. They didn't have big cupboards to be filling things up. Much of their existence was this 24-hour period now moves into this 24-hour period. Will I have enough to live in the next day and the next and the next? 
And as Jesus speaks to them, he speaks to their daily needs. And they're more in tune with that. And I think for us sometimes it's hard for us to understand that. Because we take care of ourselves. Because we pull ourselves up with our own bootstraps. Because, well, God didn't feed me today. I did. And yet, in the moments that we say, God... I need you for today and tomorrow and the next and the next. And in the most minute details, God, I need you. It reminds us of our deep dependence on him. Do we express our needs both personally and on behalf of others to our God? 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9 says this, Paul writes, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. He's talking to God about something very specific. There's a thorn in his flesh. Most scholars believe probably a person that's just irritating. You got anybody irritating that's kind of poking on you a little bit? But he said to me, my grace, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Um, that's sufficient, that word sufficient, takes it all the way back into actually this context here. Same word usage. What God is saying here is he's saying, listen, I'm going to give you what you need for the moment. I'm not giving you everything you need from now and forever because you need to be dependent on me day by day. But sufficiency in this moment, this day, for my power is made perfect in weakness Matthew 6 12 let's move on and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors what's Jesus speaking there he's asking us do 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 forgiveness and humility fill our prayers forgiveness humility our forgiveness of others it's to flow out of our heart that we recognize and are so grateful for having been forgiven by God That word forgive in the Greek right there actually can be translated let it go. And no, I won't sing that either. Do I have a desire for reconciliation and forgiveness to pervade all relationships? It begins again at the heart. Where am I with God right now? David wrote these words, Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has what? Clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. To me, what that sounds like is a worship, a worshiper who is humble, who's come before God and said, all right, all laid bare. Here, take my heart. Clean me up so that then I can be used by you. So that I can forgive. God, forgive me. Matthew 6, 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You'll notice that the part of the song that I messed up actually isn't in here. And it's because it never was. It's a part of a song. (laughs) Uh, Traditionally, we've added that in for literally hundreds and thousands now of years. And it sounds great and there's lots of truth in there. It's not like it's not truth. But Jesus stops here. But deliver us from evil. 
I believe this speaks to several needs that we must recognize that we have. Needs of discernment and strength and deliverance. Is God, is this saying God will tempt us? No, we know that's not the case, but we say, God, as the enemy tempts all around us, please, God, don't abandon us. Protect us. Give us discernment that we may walk with integrity. Deliver us, God. Give us strength. I'm reminded of the passage in Ephesians that speaks to our spiritual armor. You remember that passage in Ephesians 6? Paul writes, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may do what? You may be able to stand your ground. He uses that word stand three times in that passage. Stand, stand, so that you may stand. And I just, as as I was reading this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil and the background on this, in some commentaries, what just kept coming to my mind was what Jesus is speaking here is for us to rely on him in the midst of it all, to stand. John Piper writes, prayer gives us the power to do what we love to do. I'd love to be able to stand, God. But this is a difficult place. But I know I can't do it without your help. It's interesting, you may say, well, Randy, is that all-encompassing? Is that all that prayer is? I mean, we didn't even touch on Thanksgiving, right? I mean, why didn't Jesus speak about Thanksgiving? And we certainly know that through Scripture we find that there's Thanksgiving wrapped up within our prayers. But I would suggest to you that our prayers are actually occurring out of a grateful heart. I would say that it is certainly a part of what we do, but even beyond that, it is the motivation through which we do pray. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That I look on what he's done for me. That I look on what he's doing in my heart that I look on what he's doing in my family and all around me. And with gratitude, I come and I say, okay, God, here's where I am. My heart is full. And there's pain here and there's frustration here and there's a whole lot of stuff all around me. But because of who I know you to be, God, I'm thankful. Maybe that's where the psalmist most accurately wrote, Blessed be the name of the Lord. One last quote. S.D. Gordon wrote, The greatest people on the earth today are people who pray. I do not mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer. But I mean those who take time to pray. Um, I hope that this time has been encouraging to you. Um, Filled with lots of hope about where you can go, potentially, in your communication, connection with God. Um, The way that we're going to end our time is with prayer. And uh, the way that we're going to do that is um, I'm just going to invite us to look at two questions on the screen. And Michael's going to play, and we're just going to kind of be still in the room. But here's the two questions, and they're pretty simple, really. What do you need to tell God tonight? Or what is he telling you?
I think we can rush through a day so quickly that we miss one or both of those. And wouldn't it be sad that we even rushed through a service on prayer and we miss the moment. And so we're going to be still. I'm going to pray and then Michael's going to play. I'm just going to invite us to ponder those two questions for a few minutes, for a couple of minutes at least. God, what did you want to tell me tonight? God, what do I need to say to you? Father, thanks for reminding us that it's really not that complicated. Thanks for reminding us of how you want to use it in our lives. That ultimately it really is just all about the relationship. Thanks for reminding us, God, of who you are and of why we're here. So God, in this moment, we're listening. We're just listening. And as we listen, will your spirit prompt us if there's some things that we need to say to you as well? 